Hey guys, welcome to Chatting with Asians. On this episode, I chat with tech entrepreneur Daniel Ha. Over a decade ago, he co-founded a company called Discuss, a comment hosting service for blogs and websites like CNN and IGN, reaching over 2 billion unique visitors every month. We talk about his decision to leave college in the middle of his computer science degree, the biggest misconceptions about being a tech entrepreneur, and how being Asian American made his entrepreneur experience unique. So here's my chat with Daniel Ha. Great. Thank you so much for being on my podcast today. Yeah, thank you for having me. Great. So to kick things off, um, for the listeners who might not know you or what your company was, could you give them a little elevator pitch? Sure. Um, I'm Daniel. Uh, I would consider myself an entrepreneur and a general product guy. I founded a company called Discuss, uh, where I was CEO for a number of years. The company was actually acquired a year ago, and um, I then transitioned to more of an advisory role uh, pretty recently, just a few months ago. So Discuss, which is pronounced as in discussion, but spelled in sort of a weird old school web 2.0 way with a, uh, with a Q. Uh, it's an online service for publishers. So think major news media on the large side of things um, or independent journalists and bloggers on the small side of things. And it focuses on helping these publishers um, essentially manage audience engagement. The thing that it's most known for is uh, providing a pretty popular commenting system that is used on now millions of sites all around the internet, uh, focused on news, politics, video games, sports, whatever is out there, uh, discusses used to help um, these publishers measure the engagement on their sites and get more out of their uh, visitors. Great. And diving into the Asian American topics, um, when most Asian Americans start making life choices as adults, I feel like the number one mental barrier we always first think about is what is my family going to think about this? When you first started taking Discuss more seriously and wanted to follow this as your career choice instead of completing your comp sci degree, how did your family feel about that choice? Yeah, I mean, you're right. I think, well, my answer is is, is actually really supportive, um, surprisingly for me. So if we run, we rewind a little bit, um, when I was pretty young, like age five or six, I always answered uh, policeman or, or astronaut whenever I was asked what I was going to be when I grew up. And my mom always corrected me and said that I had to be a doctor. <laughs> and I think lawyer was probably an option that was introduced then too. So then I would say doctor. Um, and I remember sometime in second grade, I had to draw a picture of my dream profession. And so I drew a dentist. I was eight and I reasoned to myself that being a doctor probably seemed too stressful, but a dentist was uh, probably good enough alternative for my mom. Um, by the time I was 11 or 12, I was a full-time computer nerd and I was very much committed to being some sort of uh, video game inventor or um, tech corporate bigwig or something in between nerdy and glamorous. <laughs> I never actually thought about entrepreneurship or startups, but I think that's always been in me in some way. And I've always talked about what I wanted to do or ideas that I had, um, especially to my dad. And uh, he was um, encouraging. Um, 
you know, throughout my teenage years. And uh, he was the one um, who dropped me off to my dorm um, on the first day of uh, uh, going to university. And I remember one of the things he said to me was, you know, well, he would talk to me about his time in college. He would talk about how you know, he was introduced to uh, drinking and marijuana. And I thought it was sort of a cautionary tale. But what he told me was, you know, you can do those things, but make sure not to have too much fun. You got to work hard. And if you decide you want to leave school in the first couple of years, that's okay. You just got to do something really interesting. And uh, that's one of the things that really stuck with me for a long time. Um, and uh, after my second year of school, um, after working on a number of projects with um, my friend who eventually became my co-founder in the company, uh, we dropped out. And um, my dad, of course, was immediately supportive. He was, uh, you know, pretty excited to um, see what I was going to do. And my mom kind of, she adapted that over time. I think for a number of years, she would always ask me whether or not I was going to go back to school and finish my degree and get an actual job. But eventually she stopped asking. So that's uh, that was her way of saying thumbs up. She believed in me. Now, that's really amazing that you found support in your family. I feel like, you know, each family is so different. Um, and that's such a special kind of support system that you have, right? Yeah, yeah, for sure. I think um, for for um, Asian Americans or or any anyone who's a child of immigrants, I think the idea of, you know, working really hard, getting good grades, um, getting yourself on a uh, trouble, staying out of trouble and getting on a predictable path is um, a good a path as any. And uh, that was something always ingrained in me. I think as I grew up and my family grew up in America um, and, and built a community and had peers, I think a lot of it became, you know, do something that is good and do something where you don't embarrass the family. So I, I think it became less of, you know, just do great in school and go to the right school. I think that was part of it. But also, you know, if you don't do that, have an alternative that I can share with your aunts and uncles and not be embarrassed. Right, right. And were there any challenges that as an entrepreneur you faced specifically because you were Asian American and how were you able to overcome them? Um. You know, I didn't think about this very much at all in the beginning, um, at least in the beginning. And um, I'm, what would you consider it? Second generation, my parents were immigrants. So I'm second generation, I grew up in the Bay Area in a town that had a lot of Asian Americans around me. And um, I never really thought about the challenges in becoming an entrepreneur, coming from being Asian American because for a long time, I just saw myself as American growing up. But, uh, you know, that that certainly was a lot more naivety more than anything else in the early days. And um, turns out uh, the challenges that I did face had more to do than just being Asian American. It was also just general image. And, um, you know, as a as a Asian American or Asian person, and I look pretty young, um, as an Asian American kid uh, working within certain industries, sometimes you're not really taken seriously, uh, and and it's hard to really pinpoint, you know, when that happens or why that happens. But you can sort of tell. Um, I've been in many meetings where 
um, I very consciously bring uh, a colleague, um, someone that's on my team, typically a older looking, uh, much taller, much wider guy who looks like he's been working in the industry, which is media for us uh, for a long time, um, where he can, um, and, and it's always been a he in this, in this industry, can message what I want to say and what I want to do um, with a voice that would be more immediately um, taken seriously. And I kind of see this by, you know, who people pay attention to when people are talking. Right. Yeah. I, even in my own personal experience, I, I have an aunt who has been working in the fashion industry for decades now. Um, and just because she also looks quite young, I think anytime that she's gone into a meeting, despite her title being head of e-commerce or, um, you know, president of e-commerce, she still gets questioned about her abilities, about her qualifications. Um, yeah. You know, purely because sure. of her appearance, right? Um, do you... Th- it was also... Yeah. Um, it was also, uh, you know, something that I found I could use as a uh, offensive technique and more of a weapon where because I am um, younger looking, I'm an Asian American, I come across more credible when it comes to talking about tech, especially for folks who don't really know what I'm talking about. So I can play that up a little bit and you can play off each other if you bring the right person in the room, which yeah. is a sort of funny thing for me. <laughs> and do you think that was that was one part of about being an Asian American that kind of helped you as an entrepreneur? Just um, when it comes to kind of tech credibility, that's where it kind of, you know, helped? Yeah, absolutely. Um, because we worked in media, I had a lot of uh, partners and um, uh, discussions that happened on the East Coast, um, most in New York. And uh, I always start with the story of, uh, you know, being the, you know, obviously Asian American um, kid that grew up loving technology out in the Bay Area. And um, I would use that as essentially part of my credibility and the story when I talk to media folks who are looking for software. Mm-hmm. And I guess looking at the representation of Asian Americans as entrepreneurs, do you think that there's a good enough representation or do you think there's not enough of it right now? On the uh, representation of Asian Americans in um, like entrepreneurship. entrepreneurship and tech. Right. Um, I think we've, I've been very fortunate to have, uh, you know, good Asian American peers and role models in the industry that I can look to, to and say, look, you know, there are people who look like me, who grew up like me doing it. So there's been a, a good number of folks in the community. Um, but if you look at it, you take a step back and you look at it in pure numbers. I think there are certainly more in, you know, call it technical roles rather than um, leadership roles. And um, that's something that has been changing for sure. I have a number of really good friends um, who are Asian Americans who are extremely um you know, bright and talented and doing very well for themselves in this space. But um, I think that's something that we have to keep pushing on and growing. Um, and really the solution comes from having more role models and mentorship um, where you can look at someone or someone can look at you and um, really relate because you have similar backgrounds or um, just optically look very similar. 
and that helped a lot. So I keep that in mind um, for sure. I, I've uh, always tried to um, connect with other Asian Americans, especially younger um, Asian Americans who have reached out to me who are in high school and um, maybe in college and um, talking about the path of entrepreneurship. And I try to tell um, them my story and, and try to relate to them as much as possible. Right, for sure. And speaking about mentors, um, you've previously mentioned in other interviews co-founders that you admire, like Alexis Ohanian and Justin Kahn. Have you ever received helpful pieces of advice from them? Um, I have. I, I think you know those two names really stuck out to me because they were maybe two of the first handful of people that. Um, said yes when I asked to, uh, you know, get together um, over whatever it was, coffee or, or, or lunch, and just get a feel for what they were doing and um, what it took to, uh, to um, get on their path. In the time, um, Alexis, I believe, was uh, working on Reddit and Justin was working on um, uh, Justin TV, which became Twitch. And, uh, you know, they, they stuck out to me because um, one of the lessons I took away from both of them was to always welcome um, opportunities uh, and to say yes more than you say no, um, even to things that doesn't seem like it will pan out or will be a good use of your time. Um, obviously, there's a, there's a nice little balance here, but um, because of that, I've always tried to say yes um, to similar situations where I would try to grab coffee or lunch with um, folks. And it's really led to great things, either from people I eventually work with or, um, you know, uh, ended up being folks that I ended up uh, being able to help in significant ways. Mm -hmm. From Alexis specifically, one of the things he said to me was that, you know, as you do the whole startup thing, you're always going to run into other people and other companies that um, have more money. They're going to be smarter. They have more experience, um, and that's fine. But make sure that they never outwork you. They never won because those companies, those competitors, worked harder than you do at what you're trying to do. Because that's the one thing you can always control. Um, Justin, I think one of the things he said to me early on that I kept in mind was, you know, when you're in the startup world and it feels like a sort of a whirlwind of activity and, and there's a bunch of stuff going on, people writing about it, um, it's in the news. Just try to ignore what others are doing. Uh, people like to celebrate the good news. And um, when you're always just focused on reading whatever's on TechCrunch about people's successes, um, it gives you a very narrow and untrue you know, uh, view and, and lens on what it actually takes to um, make it in this world. Right, for sure. I personally also follow Alexis Ohanian. I feel like he's been such a good, like thoughtful, humble leader of sorts. Um, and he did mention recently that the idea of hustling is one of the most toxic, dangerous things in tech right now. Like mm -hmm. the idea that unless you're suffering and grinding every hour of every day, that you're not working hard enough is is false, right? 
Um, mm -hmm. Do you think that's the biggest misconception about being an entrepreneur or would it be something else? I think that's definitely part of it. Um, and um, I did read something similar. I, I think that, you know, working hard and embodying this glamorous idea of hustle are, are pretty different things. And in talking to a lot of folks and even talking to folks who are not in either are not entrepreneurs or not working in the startup world, I think a uh, misconception is the approach of um, approaching startups as a glamour and motivational speech thing. They wrap themselves up in words like grind and hashtag hustle and innovation and you know, imagine themselves as entrepreneurs just jetting around the globe and getting deals done. And those are all things that happen, sure, at different stages and um, as, a, as a matter of fact, but entrepreneurship is less like doing that and being some sort of Hollywood agent. And it's much more like opening a uh, convenience store or a laundromat. There are exceptions, of course, but that's really a normal case. And being entrepreneurship is really about trying to figure out how most things work so that you can um, surround yourselves with, surround yourself by people or channel in which you can get those jobs done better. And if you can't, then you can be doing it yourself. So I always see it much more like running a restaurant than um, being a hashtag hustle. <laughs> right, for sure. Entrepreneur. Yeah. What do you think is the most underrated skill uh, in order to be an entrepreneur? Um, underrated. Right. Yeah, a few things come to mind. I think one, pure operational ability. I, I kind of just spoke to that. Just the ability to sit down and learn about something that you don't know. Um, so then you can work on, with better people to get it done even better. Um, that's a skill that I look for when I work with people. Um, people will take the time to sit down with someone who knows it better and to learn it themselves and then know when it's bad or good. They don't have to be experts, but they should be knowledgeable, curious, and competent um, at what makes it good or bad. Um, I think second is learning to communicate to many different types of people in their language. Um, if you are a entrepreneur or any sort of uh, leader of an organization, whether the company is, you know, two people or 200, I think the ability to kind of shift your language um, to better communicate to the people that you're talking to is um, maybe obvious, but in my experience, sort of underrated. And the last one, um, probably the, uh, the most coveted um, ability or skill for an entrepreneur is, is um, working hard to find and surround yourselves with smart people. Um, sort of a truism <laughs> now that I say it out loud, but uh, it ends up being the most powerful thing that I've seen in most successful people. Just the ability to find um, just through location, but also um, and to attract and to spot the strengths of people that would otherwise be overlooked by others. Yeah, for sure. Moving away from entrepreneurship, I know that your favorite hobby is car racing. Uh, when did you first get into that and how did that start? Oh, yeah. Um, I've always loved cars, um, everything about them since I was a kid. Um, of course, toy cars. And then, uh, you know, in high school, before high school, I would work on cars with my dad. And in high school, I would um, 
you know, have a lot of friends who were, you know, worked on cars, either um, um, uh, new friends who are mechanics or, or as part of um, their hobby. So I got into that then. Um, it really ramped up over the last few years when I was, you know, doing the startup and entrepreneurship thing because it ended up being this, you know, thing I love, which is cars. And then I wanted to try to race them. And it was this technical skill that I could work towards and improve. And it was sort of like working on computers and working on these, you know, company problems, um, but in a completely different dimension. It was something I can just sink myself into. There was a lot of nuance to it, but also just purely fun. So it was sort of like my golf and my meditation rolled up into one single thing on four wheels. <laughs> and say if money and time weren't an issue, what would be your dream road trip and what car would you drive? <laughs> um, ironically, I actually don't like driving outside the track, <laughs> but I love cars and I love being in them. So um when I'm not on a track, I always worry about running into traffic or cops or other people walking around. Uh, but I will answer the question. Um, my favorite time ever driving was uh, in two places, in Germany and in Italy. And um, I think uh, on the traffic side and also the appreciation for driving is a little bit different over there and it's always been more enjoyable for me. Um, and I love all types of cars, um, especially lively and spirited cars. So if I'm in Germany, Italy, I'll eat their food and I should drive their cars. So for uh, um, Germany, I'll have to be a um, Mercedes-Benz, AMG, GTR. Italy, I'll have to be the um, Ferrari 488. Great choices. <laughs> um, and finally, the last question. If you could give yourself advice when you first started discuss, what would you say to your younger self? Mm, number one, uh, don't try to be good at everything. Um, get help as quickly as you can, um, as time and money can afford it. And um, I learned that because there are some things that you just don't appreciate until you see someone who is really good at it and who really enjoys doing it and who can operate at a much fuller capacity than you ever can, just dabbling. Um, number two is don't worry too much about what others are doing. Um, that was one of the things I mentioned before from Justin. Um, I ignore that sometimes and I still think about that. So I would remind myself. And, uh, you know, something my young self would tell me now to my old self is don't only pay attention to what can go wrong. Um, as I've gotten more experienced and spend more years doing it. I think that um, I I go from being very easily excitable to um, being somewhat critical because I look for the things or I, I pattern match the things that can go wrong or have gone wrong. And um, I have to remind myself that pessimism is very easy, but internalizing that risk and at least holding some reasonable optimism is, is the right thing to do, even though it's very hard. Yeah. Well, I think that's about it for now. Uh, thank you so much for taking the time to answer all my questions. Of course. 